podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. I'm Yaz Rana and this week I'm with the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and regular guest on the podcast, Joe Harmon. And for the first time, Crick Buzz's English correspondent and great friend of this podcast, Batushan Hantharaja. Uh, the country is falling apart. We genuinely might not have a prime minister <laughs> by the time you listen to this. But for the next 30 minutes, you can forget all that, forget the mess we're in, as we delve into the first of our two 2018 in-review special podcasts, where we'll talk about our favourite stories and breakout players of the year. But first, Vish, welcome to the podcast, by the way. What's your moment of the week? My moment of the week, right. Um, I think what I'm going to go for is Ravi Ashwin and his performance against Australia. It wasn't, particular, you know, wasn't a highlight real performance from him, but for a visiting spinner, a visiting off spinner to go over there and have such an impact, especially so early on in that test match, I find that, I find that quite great to watch, actually. And, you know, we can talk about how this isn't a, f- a full strength Australian side, but I didn't think that he'd be he'd go that well over there, particularly given how he underperformed in England. And mm. as it happens, it was because he was injured. But yeah, to see him fully fit and to see him turning the ball, you know, away from left and right handers, um, is on those surfaces as well. It's uh, it was it'd be well, it was great to see. It'll be interesting to see how he goes at that new Perth Stadium. But um, Fradley did the trick. It's not just uh, Ashwin who's done well. The the pace bowlers obviously did well as well. Barrett Arun, their bowling coach, called it the best bowling attack in you ever had. Um, is that a fair comment? Yeah, well, I mean, Joe, we were talking about that this summer, weren't we? Or the summer just gone in England. That um, I don't think they've come to gone overseas. Certainly, haven't come to England with with a better attack than that. They you, they had something for everything, didn't they? They had a brilliant new ball bowler in Ishan Sharma. They had an old ball bowler in Mo Shami, and then Jasprit Bumrah. They've got this kind of novelty horse, you know, this dressage <laughs> horse that's decided that he can. Even bowling now, <laughs> bowling ninety miles an hour off three bases, and the, and depth as well. I think those who aren't playing as well, with, with, with Veshal Kumar waiting on the sidelines. Um, I think it's undeniably it's the best attack they've ever had. And it's no coincidence they're now starting to put up some performances overseas. First win in Australia for ten years. I said at the start of the series, I thought they were massive favourites, and I haven't seen anything to, to change that. I think their batsmen will come into the series as it goes on. I think Australia had to get off to a winning start if they were going to win it. Uh, I can see it being quite comprehensive come the end. They did only lose by uh, 31 runs in Australia, so they did a lot better probably than a lot of people would have expected. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess they did. I mean, everyone, I think, thought Australia's attack would go pretty well. It was going to be how Australia's batsmen handled India's bowlers, and they fought valiantly in that second innings, but they're always playing catch-up, really. Uh, I think it was a surprise they got so close rather than, oh, they almost did it. I think that, that that was how I felt by the end of the match. Anyway, yeah, yeah. If Australia had won that game, we'd be talking about this as one of the greatest Test comebacks. Yeah. India winning it was it's almost like a two nil victory in football, isn't it? It's like well, fair dues. It's, it was close, but not really that close. Yeah, that's how I felt certainly. Um, there's another close Test match this week. Uh, that's your moment of the week, Joe. Yeah. So New Zealand uh, winning a series in the UAE. Um, so my dad's a New Zealander, so I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Kiwis. Um, Always keen to say how they go. My dad always said he was never too fussed about the All Blacks because they kind of just look after themselves. But he always felt a very kind of close connection with the cricket team because he'd seen them have some proper horror shows over the years. So I've kind of felt that a little bit as well. Um, so to see them go and win against Pakistan and the UAE, not 
quite the fortress it once was, but still no mean feat. First non-Asian team to win a series in, in UAE since 2002, Australia. Um, and also great for New Zealand, who don't play many test matches. I think this was their fifth test match of the calendar year. They're about to start playing Sri Lanka, but that's that's not enough test cricket for Kane Williams and Trent Bolt, Tim Southey, some excellent cricketers that we would like to see more of in test cricket. And it just struck me that, I mean, I think most of us have been advocates of the World Test Championship for a long time, but this is another great reason behind it that we will see these players play more regularly against more opposition and have potentially longer series because I think they've only got two against Sri Lanka. Yeah. I, think, I think that's right. Yeah, and that's not enough. I want to see more of Kane Williamson. I want to see Bolt tearing him with a new ball. Um, so it's great that given an opportunity, they've gone and shown what they can do. Uh, two test wins out of two so far this year, having beaten England at the start of the year, and they're, they're a strong side. Mm. Wisdom's Ben Gardner tweeted last week that in 2018, there have been more test wins by a margin of 50 or fewer runs uh, four than in any other calendar year in history. The format has arguably never been more exciting. Add to that the away wins that we didn't have for a while. Twenty eighteen has been a great year for Test cricket. It's been a brilliant year, and I think um, you could have actually had I know England beat India quite comprehensively, but it could have been even weighted more yeah. more that way. And I think that will it will go more that way with India potentially winning in Australia as well. I think that was a thing that was used to beat Test cricket with a lot and there's a lot of kind of um kind of people writing test cricket's eulogy mm. but actually in, in some ways it's a it's a golden era of test cricket even if you look at crowds and it might not appear that way um a great story in that new zealand win was that of will somerville did either of you guys have you heard about his story um so he New South Wales. yeah it's amazing so he's 34 he's only played 19 first class matches including the the test uh the last test of the series um, he's an off spinner. So he was born in New Zealand, played junior cricket in Australia, went to university in New Zealand, made his first class debut in New Zealand in 2005, moved back to Australia, impressed in grade cricket for years, got a few games for New South Wales, but he was behind uh, Steve O'Keefe and Nathan Lyon, so didn't get too many games for them. And then he moved to back to New Zealand, got his first contract in New Zealand first class cricket since the mid-noughties, uh, only in June this year. And now... He's played one test. He took seven wickets as a key factor in them winning, and uh, could well never play a game again because he's not been in there announcing their home test squad against Sri Lanka. Um, I guess I guess he genuinely might not play another test match. That'd be and amazing. They've got, they've got quite a few spinners New Zealand yeah. as well. So there's every, there's every chance of that. Also, age is is not on his side, but perhaps in some ways, I mean, I, I don't want to say this was a, a one off, but perhaps in some ways it'd be better off if it was. I mean, what a, what a glorious. Test career to, to talk about. What, one test match, seven wickets, match winning performances. Yeah, well, he's quite not, a genuinely historical series win. If he's not going to play 40 or 50, he might as well play one <laughs> rather than seven and have a really good record. Yeah. You would ra- you'd rather play one rather than, than seven maybe tests. This, maybe this is revealing about my own mentality <laughs> here. <laughs> well, I think uh, New Zealand do go to Sri Lanka next summer, so he's got a chance at that. But he's behind, well, potentially behind Mitchell Santner, Ajaz Patel, uh, Todd Astle, who he who was injured and who he came in the squad for, um, and his Sodi as well. So he genuinely might not uh, play again. What, one bit of other news that I saw this week was a letter written by a fan called Mike Andrews, a lifelong Worcestershire fan, who wrote an impassioned letter criticising the 2019 county fixture list, which he talked about a little bit in the last couple of pods. 
Uh, he's got a lot of support from county cricket diehards. He's basically arguing that the fixture list, which has very few county championship games on the weekend, turns its back on cricket's most important supporters, those who spend the most money on tickets and TV subscriptions and people who give the most time to the game. Um, he got a lot of support for, for the letter, um, but I guess it's quite a tough year to schedule next year with the World Cup. So uh, perhaps the ECB aren't turning their back on county fans quite as much as he's arguing. The problem is there is a genuine real point to be made and I have a lot of sympathy with him and, and county members who don't feel they can watch enough county championship cricket at weekends. It is undoubtedly a problem. That problem has been multiplied next year because of the World Cup. And the difficulty there is we all want a World Cup mm. in England. I can't wait. Most cricket fans, I think, can't wait, even though they don't necessarily follow England as much as their county. So it's a difficult one because it's going to be a great spectacle and everyone will serve to benefit from it, the game as a whole. But there is these un this underlying resentment, absolutely understandable, that they're not getting enough of the cricket they want to see. And, and that, that I, I think in 2019, we can give them a bit of a let off. I think from 2020, that they've, they've got to be more understanding of the diehard supporters and what they've brought to the game and keep them along for the ride and, and don't feel that they're kind of disenfranchised from, from something they've been very loyal to. Um, there's also news this week that uh, some of the smaller counties that won't be uh, bases for the franchise in the 100 might actually get to host the odd game. So I guess that's a move in that direction of giving those counties okay, more. Yeah. So I think uh, Gloucestershire and Somerset might host some of the Cardiff games, Cardiff-based franchise games, and Durham want to host at least one of the Leeds-based franchise games. Um, Vish, any any thoughts on, on that letter? Um, yeah, I, I suppose you you clarified a few things there when you talked about the amount of cricket that's being scheduled over the next summer anyway. Um, and so I suppose they've, you know, because they're using so many different grounds for the World Cup, they've had to try and fit the championship in where they can. And, and I suppose one of the one of the good things about the schedule is the fact that we do have more four day cricket in you know during the actual summer rather than spring or autumn, which is going to make a huge difference to the way the pitches play and therefore who we see emerge and who comes forward out of, um, out of the 2019 season. Um, but one thing I will say though is that. You know, if, if the hundred has shown anything, it is that the ECB do see county cricket, and I suppose I mean more county cam championship and counties as a bit of a hindrance to where they want the game to go. And I suppose it's a bit, if you use an analogy of a gym, you know, a gym makes money from new members. It doesn't necessarily make money from the well, it doesn't make money from people who go there four or five days a week. So while there are people who who have county memberships who come week in week out. They don't actually make counties and these would be a lot of money, I'm told. And that's why we have things like the 100, because they're searching for this. Um, well, people describe it as a unicorn, and um, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm. They're searching for that. You know, th those fans who, you know, don't seem to exist, really. I mean, like, you know, we all know lapsed cricket fans. We all know part-time cricket fans. But they like the existing product. They just don't like it enough, and yeah. I suppose, you know. Well, sorry, you told me not to rant about that. <laughs> and I've just done exactly that, but... Yeah, I, I agree with Mike's sentiment to a point, yeah, and fixtures-wise. We'll, we'll see what 2020 brings. But we feel, I think for us who work within cricket, we are appealing to the people that the ECB are potentially ignoring here. So I think I think we all feel it keenly as well. I'm, mm. In terms of selling a magazine like Listing Cricket Monthly, as you, as you plug, that's going to be a very hard challenge for us to sell that magazine to someone who's just got interested in 100 is actually those county fans who want to watch the county championship of the weekends. They're the people that would consume what we're writing, and that's probably true of, of 
great buzz as well, I guess. Mm. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, you'd think, I suppose the, the magazine's a better example, really, because, you know, having having worked at some all-out cricket before, you know, we do have those discussions every, well, we did have those discussions every few months about how do we appeal to the fans that we're not reaching. Yeah. You end up, I suppose, going in circles, but you think, oh, maybe there should be more club cricket, maybe there should be more county-specific, do we need to cover more countries? You never thought, why don't we just start writing about a different sport? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, though, uh, in terms of uh, finding new ways in which to engage with county supporters, an amazing uh, trend in the last couple of years is is the county streams. And I think that's enabled more fans than ever to watch the games. And if it's about engaging supporters, I think that does far more and far more people engage through having streams and having every county having streams on available online for everyone to watch them than people going to games on the weekends. Because I, I don't know the exact figures, but I, I, county... Um, attendances are so low anyway i'm not sure there's a huge there can be a huge difference in the number of people who turn up on a sunday in april compared to a monday in april um yeah the the, the other criticism would have been if they scheduled all this cricket for the weekends you'll get people saying well i play club cricket on the weekends. yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, you, there's, no, there's no easy win clearly but I, I do i do see mike's point All right, we'll crack on then into our moments of the year or stories of the year. Uh, Joe, yours is kind of linked to that county discussion because yours is from county cricket itself. Yeah, a little bit. If that was a slightly kind of gloomy assessment of, of where we are, this is a more optimistic. I really enjoyed the county season just gone. I thought I had a lot going for it. Probably enjoyed it um, more than for a while, really. And I'm not a Surrey fan. I should say I work at the Oval, but I'm not a Surrey fan. I'm a Kent supporter. Um, but I just thought there's a lot to lot to say for it this year. And the moment in particular I wanted to pick out was Worcestershire's T20 Blast final uh, victory, uh, having never won it before. Um, lots of young, homegrown players, brilliantly captained by Mo and Ali, who kind of he just inspired that team quite quite evidently, and you could see that in their victory celebrations. And then the lovely story of Ben Cox, player of the match in the semi-final mm. and the final, having been dropped from the championship side, I think, the week before and was clearly still fuming about it. And I think there was a bit of that in his performance. And then you had young Pat Brown, who I've just been, just been told is up for the IPL yeah. auction next week, uh, bowling this mixer of, of bouncers and brilliant slower balls out the back of the hand and knuckle balls. Unbelievably talented young player who most of us hadn't heard of a, a year previously. So for Worcestershire, one of the smaller counties, to, to go and, and do that was fantastic. But then on top of that, I think there was just a feel-good factor around county cricket, which I think potentially feeds into what we've been talking about. I think a lot of die-hard fans feel like it's under threat because of the 100 and really rallied around it in a way that perhaps hasn't always been the case or hasn't always been as vocal. And we saw that on uh, in terms of attendances at grounds. Uh, we saw that in terms of the live streaming boom, which all counties pretty much are, are doing that. And some of the numbers were, were fantastic that the tide game at was it Somerset v Lancashire? I think yeah, it had yeah. had huge figures tuning in for that, and it just it just for me the, the Worcestershire final summed up what was actually a very positive county season, even in a time of flux where people have uh, understandable concerns about the future. I thought it was a really high quality county season as well. Um, I remember at the time we were talking about how Lancashire getting relegated, but had <clears throat> potentially four or five players who had a decent shout of getting into the county championship se- team of the season. Then equally in Division 2, you had a number of teams pushing for promotion. Um, so all round, I thought it was just a very entertaining. Yeah, I know we didn't have a great title race, so we kind of ran away with it. But even then, that game at the Oval, the last game of the season, 
where they uh, nearly overturned like a 450-run yeah. deficit. It was an extraordinary game of cricket. And even from a from a journalist's point of view, the Surrey, the Surrey story was an exceptional one as well. I mean, they'd been, what, 16 years without a title, kind of sleeping beast awakened. Uh, nice mixture, again, of a lot of homegrown players, but then Morkel, who, well, frankly, was just too, a, bit too good, <laughs> a bit too good. That was almost cheating. Uh, <laughs> not cheating, though. Don't get angry. Yeah. Sorry, Ben. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that was a great story in itself. So I think it just for, certainly from a journalist's point of view, it threw up lots of great stories that were, that were great fun to cover. Vish, anything to add, or do you want to go to your story of the year? Um, yeah, I, I suppose Joe's spot on there. I think with Worcestershire winning the T Twenty, it was quite nice that T Twenty, which is seen as a more progressive format, the most progressive format, won by an unfashionable county in quotation marks, of, you know, a small county who don't even have floodlights, who you know aren't a Test match venue. Uh, yeah, to see them winning and to see them winning with homegrown players as well. This wasn't, and not to, not to like rip into Derbyshire at all, but you would it would have felt a little. You, it certainly would have felt colder had a team like Derbyshire won who relied who would have relied so heavily on coal pack players to do so. But yeah, having a homegrown team like Worcestershire was was great. And um, yeah, I suppose my story of the year is slightly different in that it isn't really a specific story, but. I thought it was quite interesting how stats have, have come into the mainstream, not just in the way that we write about cricket, but also in terms of teams catching up with, with the use of it. And obviously county teams have been fairly slow on the uptake with regards to looking for value and, and where to find value in certain players and, and using numbers to do so. But also really IPL teams in general. I think in the, we've got the 2019 auction in, well, in a Weeks time from when we're recording this, but also in the 2018 auction was the first time that they properly employed stats people to, to come in and sit in on their auction. So as with someone like Joe Harris, who's done so, who did so for the World Ch- Challenges of Bangalore, the Creek Viz as well were involved with um, with a few things in the IPL. Um, Dan Weston, who's another statistician who you can find on Twitter, being quite heavily involved in, in that process throughout auctions and also for the. IPL, uh, sorry, other T20 franchises. I thought it was quite interesting, actually, that cricket has been so numbers-driven for so long. Yeah, it only feels like now that people are really delving a little bit deeper beyond you know economy rates mm. and, and averages and actually trying to find the numbers that are worth something within all that. Yeah, it, we've been miles behind for a long time, haven't we? I interviewed Nathan Lehman for the magazine a couple of months back, who's obviously uh, England's numbers man and is uh, involved with CrickViz as well. Uh and it was very interesting. I mean, he, he, we talked about Crickviz a couple of years ago when they first came on the scene, going and presenting their product essentially to commentary teams. And initially, some of the old school commentators were like, oh, God, it's just, just instantly dismiss it, just write it off. Mm. And now that I think he was saying they've come to realise that even if they disagree with it, it's a brilliant thing to discuss. There's a lot of time to fill on air in cricket. Mm. Uh, and what it does do is provide talking points uh, and whether you agree with them or not, or whether you're sceptical about stats, or whether you're completely on board with them, then it, it does provide a new angle to the game, which is is great fun to listen to and good fun to explore as a as a writer as well. Yeah, and I think we've always viewed us in cricket as as being more being more thoughtful <clears> than <throat> people who consume football. But if you look at the way that football took to someone like Gary Neville to Jamie Carragher to Monday Night Football, I suppose we're only just kind of coming into that ourselves, to be honest, because while Nasser and, and Mark Afton and other commentators and analysts on Sky do a brilliant job, the way that they've, the way that numbers have, have come into that, I've been quite surprised at how, I suppose, the, the general creative public 
have taken to that. You see, the, I suppose it's not a great measure of anything, but the number of retweets and shares on certain articles, which are very stats-based, it's quite heartening, actually, that you realise that there isn't not just an appetite for, for watching cricket, but really getting consumed in it, certainly in this country as well. I've been and, surprised by that. And getting picked up. So Ben Jones of CricviZ writing about um, the best way that Australia can get Coley out, and that does well, gets lots of retweets, and then gets picked up by Justin Langer and becomes part of the Australian team tour. I mean, that's yeah. quite an extraordinary development. That just, well, this, this, would... is, this is Justin Langer who didn't know how to count the hundreds on the <laughs> so He needs all the help he can get. Yeah. Yeah. He then yeah. shared it to all the Australian team and made it made it mandatory reading before they met up for the first test match. But you think that uh, in county cricket, that uh, we're talking about how counties can make money in a really obvious way. So Worcestershire winning the county championship this year for the smaller counties to do really well is is to have that stats based philosophy for twenty twenty cricket because it is um, given the stats we have at our disposal, so much more can be done with them, and you can have that money ball approach to cricket particularly T20, that I don't think has really been done before. And I think you're seeing it more and more. Going back to Pat Brown, uh, it's an amazing story. And you'd think that an IPL team might take a punt on him, just looking at the statistics that they might might not have done before. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was another thing um, Nathan Neiman was saying, actually, that obviously his job with England is a dream job from his point of view. That wasn't even a job when he first <laughs> kind of started doing it, really. Uh, but there's only so much you can do with a national team. You can't. You can't pick players from other countries, obviously, and and you you can't just you can't dig down in the same way that T Twenty. You can basically it's like playing kind of championship manager. You can just sort of build build your team, and you've got a pot of money to use as well. Uh, I think it's just an absolute statistician's dream, really, that you can you can go and kind of create your own team. You can be quite creative with it as well. So I remember um, talking to Ben Jones, and he said that he could using stats. Um, there's the Crickviz data, they can always paint a picture for ordinary cricket fans who perhaps haven't seen Rory Burns bat yet, just by, he said you could compare Rory Burns statistically uh, to Alistair Cook and how his stats are very similar in terms of the way he leaves the ball, how his favourite shot's like behind square, on the leg side, yeah. he likes cutting the ball, he leaves the ball a lot. And I think that's, that's brilliant for the game. I think we'll see more and more of that, that actually fans will have a better picture of players coming into the England team and you can create a picture of a player just from stats, which... Sounds quite dry, but I actually quite like it. Yeah, it's it's a lot more than it's a lot more than top trumps, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lot more than his number is higher, so so he's good and you're rubbish. Yeah, it's as you say, yeah, but you can paint pictures now because of the level of detail that we're able to go into. Right, so we all love stats. Um, we've established that. Um, <laughs> so my story, favorite story of the year, was uh, Scotland beating England early in the summer. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget watching that game so I was on a Edinburgh University cricket tour to Dublin Here we go. and we were playing our last game so it was for our leavers the game was everything to do with us so despite us all being bowlers we uh, batted in the top four we uh, filled it short leg silly point and first slip um, and anyway as the, as the day was developing going going forwards we suddenly realised that Scotland actually might win this game and as our game was coming to a close we all huddled around an iPad watching the, the finale of the game and everyone there uh, most of those people were English. We all really wanted Scotland to win. And I think the reason why I really want Scotland to win is because we were gutted that they hadn't qualified for the World Cup. So in the IC World Cup qualifier early in the year, Scotland, uh, you could argue, were robbed. Only two of those teams in the tournament could qualify. Um, West Indies and Afghanistan eventually were the teams that qualified. Um, but Scotland were playing West Indies in a game and uh, it was rain-affected and ended up 
they ended up losing to West Indies by five runs in the DLS method. But a couple of overs before the rain came down, Richie Barrington was given out LBW incorrectly and there were no review there's no review system in the tournament. Mm. And had that not been given out and they and then if they didn't lose a wicket uh before the rain came down, they would have qualified for the World Cup and West Indies wouldn't have, which would have been huge. Uh West Indies were really good in that recent series against India and it would have been crazy if they had uh, a series like that in the same year that they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, so I, so for me, I thought that this year was Scotland's opportunity to do put themselves and cement themselves in the world cricketing map uh, and I think they would have done all right in the World Cup. Obviously, uh, they wouldn't qualify for the semi-final or anything but I think they could have, like, like in beating England, they could have uh, sprung a few surprises. Um, and I just feel the game as we're trying to grow it and incorporate as many countries as possible, lost a real opportunity this year because I think that was an amazing story that has always been neglected. It was a hugely popular win, wasn't it, for yeah. all the people who, who thought a 10-team World Cup's a joke, which I think most cricket fans do. Uh, it was the perfect timing, really. Perfect and in, in it was almost awful in a way mm. as well because it showed what, what could have been. Um, but, yeah, I, I was certainly rooting for Scotland as I was watching mm. that scorecard. It was also because England was are so good at 50-over cricket the humiliation factor wasn't wasn't really yeah, an issue. Yeah. And that there was that. I mean, I know the Aussie press tried to get on the back of it. it was like, come on. <laughs> I mean, like, and then obviously England it, hammered them exactly, the, exactly. The, next, the next month, which was kind of pretty sweet as well. I just remember loads of my Scottish friends texting me who I had no interest in cricket. It's like, oh, I might follow cricket now. And they just saw the headline and had no idea what was going on. Um, That's what you need. So you don't need yeah. 100. You just need more Scotland <laughs> yeah. victories. Yeah, absolutely. ECB, yeah. take note. That's, uh, get <laughs> them in, fair, get them in the There are quite a few Scottish people at the ECB, to be fair. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it was all perfectly planned uh, for, for the growth of Did Scotland. Did you say it was an inside job? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Well, anyway, swiftly moving on. Let's go into our breakout players of the year. Um, Vish, do you want to go with yours? Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit self-indulgent because I'm a huge fan of this bloke, but um, the numbers are backing up here. Not so the back of my heart, anyway. Um, Ed Barnard of Worcestershire is someone who has actually been around for a while. He's... Um, because of, I suppose, the way they do things at New Road, he's part of their group of younger players who has been given a go. But Steve Rhodes initially, and now it's um, been carried through into this year as well. Um, I think one of the things I like about him is the fact that he does a bit of everything. His nickname up there is um, the Mini Wokes, and you can see why, because bats, bowls, it feels like a dream. He put on an extra yard of pace as well. And I think he's... The thing that I think would really enamour fans to him is that when there are big moments to be had, he's often the player that, that stands up. He took 49 wickets in, in Division 1, and Worcestershire got relegated. Um, 18 in List A, went at the column rate of 6, and um, got ripped down to 12 in their T20, including some quite big plays during um, during finals day as well. And he's someone in particular who... I think there will come a time where he, where he will outgrow Worcestershire, certainly in terms of his ambitions. I think he's good enough to play as an all-rounder in a Division 1 side. In, in terms of England honours, I don't really know. There are so many all-rounders that he Yeah, is. exactly. Yeah, He's but... a sort of player, a couple of years ago, he would have been talked about a lot, mm. but it says a lot about what England's yeah. talent now that he doesn't really get a mention, does he, apart from you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've got enough followers on Twitter, why not use it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I think the one thing with him is that he will be the measure, I suppose, of, of where cricket goes in this country because... <laughs> If Worcestershire are going to be a yo-yo club in, in Division One, sorry, in, in the Championship in general, and it'd be interesting to see what he decides. Is his will he stay at Worcestershire and then you know get a gig for a team in the hundred and go around his T20 
twenty um, franchises across the world, which he's good enough to do, or will he will four day cricket and eventually Test cricket be his aim? Will he think right? I need to move to a, a Division One county, a, a stable Division One county, and uh, push my red ball on through there? Um, he's almost a canary down the mine, I think. That's interesting. So a barometer as the kind of the, the highest level of county player who may yeah. play for England but isn't going to be an England regular. He will be an indicator of where where others might decide to go. That's, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't think it will happen with the younger players so much because they're all, you know Pat Brown's already in the IPL auction, so it's almost like they've some some of those players have already made their made the decision. But with someone like Barnard, who would have come up thinking, right, well, I want to be a Test cricketer, who was a prominent under nineteen player as well for England. For him, it'll be interesting to see where his Still young, he is only twenty-three. Uh, on on players who uh, move from smaller clubs to bigger, so-called bigger clubs uh, for stability, um, I always think that's a risk in itself because you look at Notts, Warwickshire, and Middlesex. Those big clubs aren't are by no means guaranteed to stay in Division One, um, and almost being the star man at Worcestershire, a club that are more than capable of winning promotion again next season, I almost see as a, a better place for him. Particularly, it's quite an exciting an- project. I remember the anecdote you. you- Wrote for us in the piece for all that cricket, where Joe Clark was getting some some chat from Ian some. Bell. Oh, yeah, it, but, Ian Bell, yeah, yeah. Go on, you you tell the. What, he was he was telling him. So I, I think so. I think Ian Bell was batting, and he yeah, Ian Bell was batting, and he was um, getting a bit from some of the Worcestershire players, and he turned to Joe Clark, who was at Slip, I think, and said, um, "Why are you hang around with this lot? Why don't you join us in, uh, in Division One next year?" And he was like, "You might be in Division Two next year," <laughs> and they were. <laughs> It just goes to show, just backs yeah. up your point. I think I'm going to my breakout player before we get to yours. So my one's a very boring option, but the obvious one, Sam Curran. What a, what a year he had. Um, his 63 uh, in the Birmingham Test match. When To be honest, I'm picking him just for that six he hit against Ishan Sharma over extra oh, cover. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the best shots I've ever seen. Um, the interesting one with Sam Curran, as brilliant as he was this year, I'm still not quite sure what his England future is going to be because uh, right now with... The as strong as a bowling attack we have, England can kind of afford him afford for him to be like a four seamer who only bowls when the ball's swinging and not make him bowl like the, the donkey work overs when the ball's old. Um, and with the bat, they're fine with him batting number eight because of all the all rounders we have. But in the few years' time, uh, I'm still not really sure where where his career will go. Like, w- will he be a top six batsman? Will he be a new ball bowler that will um, basically be Jimmy's replacement? Uh, I'm still not quite sure, but. There's no doubt that this year he was he was phenomenal. He's still only 20 as well. He's going to bat top six, isn't he? But I think about five or six. And then yeah. the bowling, I'm less sure on, but he looks like he's going to have to end up in the top six. Yeah, he? yeah. Well, one of the things that people said about him when they when they faced him early on was that he's not going to grow much, and therefore he's never really going to have a, a really really good bouncer, and he's not he's not going to be able to, I suppose, hurry batsmen. And then he just but he just gets wickets, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, I've I've given up trying to label him. Like yeah. when he came in onto the scene, people talked about this batsman who could bowl, and then he ended up taking a stack load of wickets for Surrey in his first year and a half. And then, if you you know, we see him bat in Test cricket, and he clearly looks like a dream. But if you look at his first class numbers, they're not that good. He's still not got a first class hundred. Yeah, I think he's been out in the nineties three times as well. Um, but he's, you know, he averages forty in Test cricket, <laughs> but what thirty in in first class cricket overall. Yeah. So. Oh, I don't really know. I, I think, yeah, ultimately he will end up being a, a, a batsman to, re, to be relied upon, which in this England team could mean batting at eight where he does or nine where he does. Mm. So maybe we should just enjoy it and see what happens. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Just let let's just let them get on with it. Let him get on with it. <laughs> I think it was well. quite telling that when he got injured for the last Test match to Sri Lanka, 
they've brought in Johnny Bairstow because it's actually the runs that he gets, even though yeah. he's batting number eight, they're actually what England are missing more yeah. than anything else. Um, yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic this year. Joe, your your breakout player of the year. So I was torn between two exciting young Indian batsmen. Uh, so one was Prithvi Shaw, who obviously won the Under-19 World Cup this year, made a stunning uh, century on test debut. But I've actually gone for Smriti Mandana, um, Indian woman, left-handed opener, who... We knew about her last year. She she scored some runs at the World Cup. Well, started brilliantly at the World Cup and then faded away quite badly. But I think this year she has taken it to another level. She, I mean, she, at the, uh, the KSL Kia Super League, she was on another planet, really, and finished top scorer by a long way despite missing finals day. I think she broke the record for sixes hit in the competition after about four games. It is ridiculous. Um, but she's not just a power player. She's hugely <laughs> elegant as well. Um, I saw there was a thing, so that they... Sports Pro Media did a, a survey of the 50 most marketable athletes in the world. So there were only three cricketers in that 50, one of which was Mandana. Do you want to guess the other two? Kohli. Yeah, no points for that. But yeah. Kohli? Yeah. Um, no, he's English. Stokes. No, Butler. Butler. But anyway, so Butler and Kohli. And to have Mandana in all, in all sport. All sport. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it's a verif- yeah. <laughs> verifiable <laughs> survey. I just saw it on the internet. But, but anyway, that's what they said. Um, but you can see that, Mandana. I mean, Indian women's cricket is is starting to boom. We'll have a, an IPL there pretty soon, I'd have thought. Probably not this year, then the next year. Uh, and she's going to be right at the forefront of that. She's vice-captain under Harman Preet. Um, and batted really well at the World T20. Scored a brilliant 80 against Australia. I that think. was an extraordinary yeah. Yeah. The, the The clean ball striking. There. That's it. it. It's, the, it's, the, it's the cleanness of the hitting that is incredible. And also with... Matali Raj's future, you'd have to say, is is in doubt now. I mean, if she's going to be able to come back into that into that team, is I mean, it's got to be doubtful, really, that the amount of stuff that's been thrown around publicly and and privately and ended up publicly. So Mandanda, that's a huge role to fill. Matali Raj, she might not have been a great T Twenty player, but she was the kind of fulcrum of the of the whole team. And Mandanda's going to have to step up even even further. But if I think from what we've seen over the last year, I think we're looking at the kind of the best. Uh, well, I suppose Meg Lanning's going to be hard to pass at the moment, but the, the future best uh, female batsman on the planet. Mandana's interesting because I remember when she first came on the scene, there was talk of, well, I suppose even when she got going in international cricket, everyone would always speak of, of how glorious she was to watch. And, you know, she had that left-handers quality. Of, mm. You know, she, she could get out of bed and people would be like, God, look up. It's just stunning, really. Um, but she had this, this thing following her around that she was quite soft, that she wasn't, someone to be relied upon in pressure situations. And that seemed to bear out, actually, at the World Cup, where, as you yeah. say, you know, she started brilliantly with that 100 against England and then kind of just fell away as soon as there was pressure on her, as soon as there were eyes on her and expecting her to kind of go on and take the rest of the tournament by There's still surely pressure on her, though, in, as a 21-year-old playing in a World Cup, yeah, as it yeah. was. That's, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Criticising for that anyway. No, of course. But, she, but, you know, there was this thing that was following her and in the last 12 months, she's completely dispelled it. And I think there's... Harman Preet has said that playing Women's Big Bash League has made a massive improvement in her game. I think, I, I guess the same is, is true there. There's just a kind of level of competition, preparation, fitness to a certain extent, which has just kind of solidified what a, in Harman Preet's case, what a kind of ferocious competitor <laughs> she is. And I think you've seen that that toughness in, in Mandana's game as well. And good pitches as well. I think we were deprived yeah. of the, seeing the best of women's cricket in the World T20. But you see now in the women's big bash that actually, if you give these girls good pitches, that you can really see how good they are. Yeah. Um, Joe, we haven't really talked about the Matali Raj saga yet on the podcast. Mm. Do you want to 
give it a little explainer and we can talk about that for a bit? Um, well, so obviously she wasn't picked for the semi-final defeat uh, against England, which seemed bizarre at the time. But then it kind of emerged that there'd been team instructions that she had to bat a bit quicker, be a bit more athletic in the field, and she hadn't really followed those. So she was getting scores, but she was getting them at a run of ball and India's coach. She, she got 18 off 25 in the, in the warm-up game. Right. So this is so this is it. So India wanted to play a certain way, and she was she was kind of running counter to that, and she eventually kind of paid the price in that she missed out in that semi final. Then India lose in a low scoring contest. And you're like, well, what a ridiculous decision. And in some ways, it it probably was. But there's just before the podcast, I think there's kind of parallels here with the end of Charlotte Edwards' career. Not so much the ego thing, which seems to be quite a, a big thing in the kind of Indian women's dressing room at the moment, but that England, or Mark Robinson specifically, wanted England to go in a certain direction. He didn't think Charlotte Edwards could help in that regard, really, particularly being slow in the field. Uh, also, the way he wanted their, their batting to, to improve. Uh, again, it looked like a bizarre decision at the time. I, don't, I think if you had taken a, a straw poll, I think it would probably be kind of 80-20 if it, who thought it was madness. But then it, it, it did pay off, and and maybe Indian women's cricket does need to do, do the same thing. I mean... T20 rules uh, in India, and Harman Preet runs that team, and I think Matali Raj is going to have a struggle to to get back in there, which is a shame. If this really is the end of her career, it's a really sad uh, kind of footnote to it because uh, she deserved a lot more. It is a sad. It is very sad, and also it's quite telling that uh, Harman Preet Kaur and Smriti Mandana both backed publicly backed the coach Ramesh Power. So that's um, the other key bit, isn't it? That the, the coach then. Uh, didn't have his contract renewed after all this, and uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and and now now he's reapplying for the job, citing the support he got from Core and Mandana. Uh, so it seems quite hard considering those two, uh, very much the present and future of Indian women's cricket. For in Mandana's case, could be like ten, fifteen years. So uh, you you'd almost hope that they 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 go they they back power and they back Core and Mandana, given how important they are for the future. It'd be interesting appointment. I mean, have you seen the other names in the hat? Are Shah? Herschel Very Gibbs. keen on it, Herschel Gibbs. I, I, see I, that think, one. I, I think he'll be good for, for cricket as a whole if Ramesh Power got his job back. Yeah. <laughs> right, looking forward then to a next week in cricket. Um, Vish, what are you looking forward to? Um, so, I'm looking forward to the start of the New Zealand series with Sri Lanka for a number of reasons, one of which we touched on at the start about New Zealand's win in Pakistan and how little test cricket they've played and the fact that they can have this winter at home, for, for even just Kiwis to see that they've got an international <laughs> team to be proud of there. You know, I mean, Joe's dad has always known. <laughs> the other Kiwis out there, the other nine of them. Um, but with Sri Lanka, I think it's actually quite an exciting time for them as well. You know, they were they were pretty poor, as, as much as we bigged up England's winning Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka were pretty, pretty poor over those three tests, but... What they've got now is they've got a winter where they're playing in New Zealand, Australia, and then South Africa, places where the seam bowl is going to come to the fore, which is actually what Sri Lanka have more of, and certainly a higher quality of, than spinners at the moment, especially with the retirement of Harat. Um, and so if you look at the the attack that Sri Lanka will take over there, Rajita, the, um, the tall bowler who featured against England in the yeah. one-day series, Saranga Lakma, obviously Nuan Pradeep, Lahiru um, Kumara, and Dushmanta Chamira, who... I don't know if people remember Chamira, he was over here the last time Sri Lanka were over there. Really quick. Yeah, and really sling-y, quick. Slingy yeah. action, kept getting injured. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he was injured, so didn't didn't really feature at all, actually. I think he might have played a couple of ODIs, so he, they hoped he it would. He came over with quite a big reputation at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And, and so 
they've kind of got they've all got quite a clean bill of health as well and it'd be interesting to see if we saw a lot of potential from their batsmen without having to without putting on big scores there were quite a few 80s in there no one really got 100 against England but I think there's a few things will have to go their way the toss being one one thing but I don't see why they couldn't bloody a few noses I don't think they'll win a series over the winter but I think is if Lack- they take three test matches with them along the way, I think they'll be quite happy with that. Is Lackmal continuing as, as captain? Oh, so Chandamal is, is fit again. So Chandamal's fit again. again okay, because well. so that, that looked like that didn't really work. I know no, Lackmal had yeah. won a few test matches as captain, but he looked a bit lost in the field there. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a strange life when you're a bowling captain who doesn't bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, having Chandamal back as well just strengthens our order. Angler course, Matthews yeah. as well, after his fitness issues, looks to be coming into form and he's going to be bowling again as well. So they've, right. got, they've got more options out there. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say they're going to win a series, but they can definitely take a few tests. But more than anything, as all your Twitter followers will know, you're really looking forward to watching Dick Weller play more cricket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think the uh, part of me wants him to kind of come good and I suppose get his head together and be a consistent performer because he's, he's a very dangerous player when he gets going. But the other part of me is thinking there's no fun in that. It's not there? why you love him, is it? No, That's exactly, not... <laughs> yeah. It would just be a different man. And, uh, you know, it's not the man I fell for. <laughs> but even just the prospect, I remember in the in the test series in Sri Lanka, uh, once he came in, in, I can't remember which test it was, but Sri Lanka needed 100 odd to win with five wickets of the hand. They were all saying you were favourites. So I was like, if Dick went a bats for an hour here, he got no chance. Yeah, he got 20, <laughs> didn't he, quite quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think he... Um, He's not someone who feels pressure, and because of that, he doesn't understand consequence. <laughs> in the world we live in today, that isn't the kind of person you want to back. But yeah, we'll, we'll, see, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I'm personally looking forward to just the second test of the Australia India series. Uh, first test match at that magnificent new stadium in Perth. I'm not sure if you've seen the photos of it. If you haven't, do. It's amazing. I was there, really? for the, uh, there for the first game, the ODI, yeah, and it's, um, it's a good pitch as well. Quick pitch, right? Yeah. Even Andrew Ty bumped someone. <laughs> well, that'd be great with a with a fast bowlers on show for both teams. That'd be great to watch. Uh, Joe, what are you looking forward to? Uh, we touched on it earlier, but the IPL auction always an exciting exciting day. I do like this idea that kind of relative relatively uh, obscure cricketers can suddenly be plucked out of nowhere and turned into millionaires, like we saw with Tamar Mills um, a couple of years ago. A few other English players in there, like Laurie Evans. He's he's up in the in the auction. Um, can't remember if there's any. Pat Brown, you mentioned yeah. as well. Um, that Laurie be, I mean... Evans is, is quite an interesting <clears throat> one. and I'm, I'm only saying this because it's a story I came across the other day. Um, when Brett Lee entered the IPL auction, his agent didn't send over his stats. He said that you can get those from, from Cricket Info. Um, or other, other websites as well, like Cricket Info. He sent him a load of headshots, essentially talking about how mar- marketable Brett Lee was and his bullers are essentially is a, is a good looking man and I wonder if Laurie Evans could potentially go down that route as well because again a good looking man very good T20 numbers don't get me wrong but but I mainly mean, a good looking man yeah it? but it, it, it sounds facetious and it is a little bit but given the way that marketing plays such a big part in the IPR I do wonder if maybe that will play a part in, um, in him getting picked up as well he's also, also he's a value pick as well and also he's got some good friends to have in the T20 world like he would have impressed Rashid Khan during Rashid Khan's stint uh, with Sussex this summer and I, I don't know how much of a role teammates will have but I think uh, he's he's played in some other leagues around the world as well yes, yeah, yeah. so I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if Laurie Evans got picked yeah um, I mean that's a good point it's a, it's a cricket to small world and the T20 franchises are an even smaller world within mm. that and word of mouth goes a long way and he carried Sussex's batting last year didn't he playing alongside players like Joffre Archer and Kostrad and who were 
they were talking to their mates. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that, that should be amazing. The one thing we will say is that I think there are only about 17 or 18 slots to be filled, and yeah. there's what 300 people in the Yorkshire itself. So, if they don't, if they, don't, if English players don't get picked up, as much much of it would be down to availability because of the World Cup. They'll need to be back, I think, a month before. I think, well, sorry, I think they're only they'll only be able to. Playing the IPL for a month anyway. Yeah, if you're going to be in the World Cup squad, you're not really. So Morgan and Root haven't even gone forward yeah. for it, I believe. Yeah, and, and, and best though, you think someone who should be picked up, but that's quite a big stumbling block. Yeah. But that's why Pat Brown and Laurie Evans might be quite good picks, actually, because they uh, won't be in the World Cup Sam squad. Sam Curran, too. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Squad. true. Uh, we didn't even touch on the England squads that were announced because it was exactly what Because England was so good. You're the best team yeah. in the world, though. I believe it. Well, uh, there is surely no better note to end on than saying that England are the best team in the world. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure you tune in next week for our second 2018 In Review special podcast. Um, make sure you subscribe and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.